Journalists require a constant stream of stories and content to satisfy the 24-hour online demand for news. Only a handful of financial advisors, though, actively engage with the media to provide comment and material. So a huge opportunity exists for other advisors to build their own media profiles. My guest today has been doing communications and PR for over 30 years, and you can benefit from his experience here. Peter's interview is a masterclass in how to give journalists what they need and supercharge your media profile at the same time. Listen to Peter talk about media commentating, being accessible to journalists, and how to deliver the holy grail, the case study. You can also hear his valuable advice about blogging, LinkedIn publishing, and social media, right here in episode 47 of the Marketing, Protection, and Finance podcast. Welcome. You're listening to the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. For each episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. So let's get on with the show and here's your host, Roger Edwards. Before we get to that fascinating interview with Peter Timberlake, I'd just like to say thanks to Martin Bamford, who tipped me off this week about a little website called My Podcast Reviews. Now, in iTunes, you can only see podcast reviews in your home country, in our case, of course, the UK. What this site does is it crawls all of the iTunes worldwide sites and tells you if anyone has left your podcast a review in another country. So once I was logged into the site, I came across this review from Stephen Barrett in Ireland. Stephen says about the Empath podcast, a really enjoyable podcast. As someone who has just started their own financial services company, this podcast is really beneficial to me on how to grow my business. The shows are full of professionals who have had success and are willing to share what they do. It's well produced and it's fun to listen to. So if you're listening to this, Stephen, today, thanks very much for leaving that review. And Martin, thanks again for pointing out my podcast reviews. If you like the Empath podcast, it would really help me if you took two minutes to leave your own review. Just go to Roger edwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and click through to the iTunes review section. Thanks also to previous Empath guest, advisor and web designer John Bloomfield for plugging the podcast in his latest newsletter. So now let's get to Peter Timberlake and how you can build a successful media profile right here on the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. So let's get started with today's interview, and I'm delighted to introduce you to my guest today, and he is Peter Timberlake. Peter's a communication specialist with over 30 years' experience across multiple audiences and media, including financial services, trade press, consumer and personal finance, city business and media, specialist lifestyle publications, broadcast and digital media, political and policymakers, advisors, lobby groups, and worthy causes. He's an external communications leader with experience of managing combined press office, public affairs and corporate responsibility teams and building the function from scratch. He helps leading organisations manage and enhance their brands and reputations and achieve strategic communications objectives. He's held senior positions at Standard Life and Friends Life and currently works as Head of Communications for the Financial Reporting Council. So Peter, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Thank you very much, Roger. 
Peter, it's great to have you on the podcast. I've wanted to get you on the podcast for quite a while now because you're a communicator, you're a marketeer, you share a lot of the passions that I do for social media and content marketing and, and communication in general. So there's loads of things that I want to talk to you today about. For example, your 40-minute blog, for example, the fact that you're using LinkedIn publishing, etc. Before that, though, Give us a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, what your ambitions are. Basically, Peter, what makes you tick? What makes me tick is seeing changes in attitudes as a result of good communications. You can create good narrative and you can create impressions, you can build reputations. And all of that together helps to win support from stakeholders gain customers and generally change attitudes and I like to see that that reaction to the, the work that I do like you I'm, I'm passionate about communications I've been doing it for well well over 30 years now in a range of insurance companies and now at the Financial Reporting Council which is a regulatory body and I've had to do it in different ways and I've had to cope with new ideas, new ways to communicate. Social media has made a huge difference. And I love learning new things, new ways to do it, new ways to communicate. Um, I just enjoy my job from the moment I get in to the moment I get home. And let's just focus on that from the moment you get in and the moment you get home, because you have quite a long journey to work, don't you? I do, yes. I I suffer a, a commute that... Uh, takes about an hour and 45 minutes. I get up at five o'clock in the morning in order to get an early train and be at my desk just after half seven so I can get into what the agenda is for the day, find out what's in the papers and start to plan what I may need to react to. And I rarely get home much before eight in the evening. So it is a long day and I do it because I enjoy it. I'm, I love what I do. I'm passionate about it. But you, you've mentioned my 40-minute blog, and, and that is something that I started doing on the train um, rather than sleeping for the 40-minute part that is the, the train journey between Guildford Station and London Waterloo. Okay. Say, out of my entire hour and 45 minutes, I spend 40 minutes sitting on a train. I now see people around me still asleep at that time of the morning. It was Phil Calvert, who many of your, your listeners will be familiar with, who suggested that I ought to start using that time to write a blog. I had been tweeting for some time about the frustrations I felt with the service on Southwest Trains, and he said, well, why don't I turn it into a, a blog, which I thought was a good idea. So I did, and I found that I enjoyed it. And I called it 40-Minute Blog because it takes me 40 minutes to write, and I set the challenge of posting it by the time I get to Waterloo. And whilst I started writing about the problems with the train service, I rapidly moved on to other issues. And now I write about anything that's topical, something I might see in the newspaper, something that might be in the, happening in the economy, something in business, something in the financial services sector, whatever takes my fancy. And I, I aim to write something engaging, interesting, challenging, a little bit opinionated, nothing too racy, but I just want to interest people in in what's going on in the world. Of course, this started as a bit of a rant about Southwest Trains, but it's developed into a lot more than that. And, and you're, you're 
gaining quite a big big audience for your 40 minute blog now and you have an associated twitter account for the 40 minute blog have you attracted quite a big audience and are people feeding back to you um and giving you um encouragement to continue to do this or is it really just a bit of a hobby for you on the way to work and your other communications challenges lie elsewhere such as on linkedin or or the main website for for your your current employer it's actually it's, it's a bit of everything that you've said there roger i mean I, I i do it because i enjoy it i also do it because it helps to get my creative juices flowing in the morning uh, and as a communicator i spend a lot of my day writing and trying to uh, deliver a narrative and so if i arrive at work already in creative mode that's an added advantage but i do get some feedback uh, there are a number of people who either uh, favorite the the blog or comment on it engage in a bit of a twitter chat with me about it or indeed retweet it themselves um, but it also provides uh, some fodder for me to uh, create blogs and posts to go on linkedin now i write the 40-minute blog uh, every day of the working week on the train and I've done uh, you know well over probably around about 350 now but at the best of them the ones that are most relevant to a broader professional audience I post on LinkedIn and I have over a thousand people in my network and a few more than that who've chosen to follow me on LinkedIn and the the posts that I put up there and I've done 53 of those now are a way of in generating more followers uh, so you can get your opinions out there get your commentary out there talk about the matters that, that are important to you talk about the issues that are important to perhaps your customers or your stakeholders and generally build up a narrative build up a dialogue with people via LinkedIn and as you know LinkedIn is an excellent resource it's an excellent medium to contact and, and remain in touch with a, a good professional audience yeah and I think probably quite a lot of people don't realize that LinkedIn provides this publishing platform uh, I mean in fact it's only been available to the likes of you and me for probably less than a year in fact beforehand the publishing platform was purely available to really quite high-flying people like Richard Branson and Gary Vaynerchuk and other other names from uh, from the marketing world but just less than a year ago LinkedIn opened this platform up to everybody to allow you to create articles to communicate with your connections and it's a hugely powerful communications tool and I just think that a lot of people should have a really good closer look at it uh, Phil Calvert who you mentioned before he's a massive advocate of this platform as well and I think that a lot of people should just take a look at it and think what advantages it could create for them in communicating their business proposition to the market I agree entirely um, and, and when Phil uh, did a, a seminar on social media, which I, I, I attended. Uh, I've known Phil for, for several years. We live near each other. But I, I went to one of his seminars and he mentioned the, the opening up of the publishing platform. Uh, and it coincided with me having started the 40 minute blog. And so I, I decided to take advantage of it. And it's very easy to do. There are some tricks to make your, your posts, uh, more, uh, interesting and engaging. I've noticed a few more people in my network starting to post their own blogs on LinkedIn. So there are more people taking advantage of it. And you can, uh, if you're clever about it, you can add tags to your articles so that it gets recognized by people who are interested in the subjects that you're writing about. 
You can get your article posted into groups. You know, I tend to get maybe between 100 and 200 reads of my posts on LinkedIn, but I've had some other spectacular successes. I think the best one in terms of readership, I had nearly 8,000 reads. And that was because it got posted into a group which there were several hundred thousand members. And so those members shared amongst those members rather than just my network of a thousand plus people. And the, the, the hundred thousand plus of, in that uh, group were able to see it. And, and a lot of them read it. And I had, I think, around about 120 people commenting on it. And, and those comments gave me another opportunity to talk back to each of those people and just keep that dialogue going. Uh, I, I do think that, that LinkedIn is is not fully understood by a lot of people. It's not just a, a jobs platform, somewhere where you can post a CV when you're looking for a, uh, for a new role. It is actually a very good tool for engaging with a professional audience, and particularly for IFAs and others in financial services, clearly that audience is going to be a target audience for them and their their advice business. I'm constantly having to remind myself how easy it is these days to communicate. I mean, you just mentioned before, you've been um, in the PR and communications world for over 30 years. I imagine that, and, and when I started as well, sending out a press release, if you want to do that quickly, you would have had to have faxed it to the journalist probably. Nowadays, we've got instantaneous communication across Twitter, LinkedIn, all sorts of different mobile phone and, and iPad, whatever, apps. Communications is instantaneous these days, and therefore there shouldn't really be any excuse why people wouldn't take advantage of these platforms to try to promote their businesses more. And yet, this is something that you and I discussed before we pressed record this morning. There are quite a lot, if not the majority, of financial advisors, indeed financial services professionals, who aren't using these platforms to promote themselves, and especially aren't using these platforms to get their names and their faces into the media. Why do you think there's still that reticence around at the moment that stops people from effectively maximising their exposure? I think people think it's difficult, but it really isn't. I mean, you're, you're, you're right. That when, you know, when I first started, uh, if I wanted to, when I was sending out a, a press release, I literally had to print them in the office. If it was two pages, staple all of them together, stuff them into envelopes, address them and send them out to journalists. And, and as you say, if it was urgent, I'd fax it. Nowadays, nobody does that. It's all electronic. There are systems and services to help you distribute press releases to a target audience of the right sort of journalists at the right sort of publications. Um, there is now social media, as we've discussed, which allows you to communicate direct with a target audience without the filter of journalists potentially reinterpreting or repackaging your message. It is really a lot easier to get involved in this and to promote yourself and your brand and your company and your services than people think. Um, you and I have discussed before that if you, if, if you read a story about pensions, you're most likely to see commentary included in that from Tom McPhail at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Yeah. And, and it's the same if you, if you, you know, talk about protection, you'll probably find commentary from yourself or Alan Lakey or someone like that. If it's mortgages, Ray Bolger will be there. You know, the same old faces, same old names dominate this. But there's no reason why they it shouldn't be other people as well. And the reason you and others are successful is because you made the effort to contact journalists in the first place, to establish your reputation and to work with them to provide good content. It's not about trying to say, look, I'm Joe Bloggs, I'm brilliant, aren't I? Because a journalist isn't going to do that. If you want to do that, you have to advertise. 
doing the public relations, media relations route, it should be pretty cheap, almost no cost, because all it takes is some emails, some phone calls, a coffee now and again, meeting with a journalist to build up a relationship to establish your credibility as an expert in your field. Now, journalists, they need to file stories relatively quickly particularly yeah. if there's a breaking story, a bit of breaking news. And so they are generally looking for people who make themselves available, make themselves accessible. And so, you know, be prepared to share your contact details, your mobile phone details, and be prepared that a journalist might ring you outside office hours. You know, I, I regularly over the, the last 30 plus years, uh, my wife's got fed up with, with my phone going off at weekends and in the evenings and me having to talk to journalists. It goes with the territory. But actually, at the end of the day, the outcome is worth it. You know, I'm, I'm passionate about communicating. I'm passionate about content. And I see that there's a lot of opportunity for others to get involved in this and to start to spread spread the message, if you like, spread the love a bit further. The reason that you know, Tom McPhail is, is so regularly quoted on pensions is because he's available, because he's made the effort to get known by all media, you know, right through to broadcast media, you know, I can guarantee that if there's a pensions-related story on the news, somewhere in it there'll be a, a little bit of film of, of Tom McPhail commenting on it. And, and well done to Tom for, for, for getting there. But because journalists will go to where they think they can get the, the quickest, most uh, relevant, most newsworthy, interesting, informative commentary to help them support their stories, then that's why they go to someone like Tom. There's no reason why they shouldn't go to other people because, you know, all financial advisors, all IFAs have got good information, good content, good knowledge to be able to help journalists write decent copy. You know, this is this is bringing back so many memories talking to you, Pete, this morning. I can remember very early on in my career meeting with a PR company. I think it was Pole Hills at the time. And the guy who looked after our company, I and mean, it was Scott Prov at the time, was a, a splendid gentleman called Terry Heppelwhite. But he sat me down and said, you know, you're going to be a spokesperson for Scott Prov. There are really two things that I would say to you. First of all, be accessible which you've just said to everybody there, Pete. And secondly, never say no to an, uh, an article. And I've really stuck to those two things for the last 25 years, and they really do work. And accessible means that if a, if a journalist phones you, you need to phone them back with the information that you promised them within an agreed timescale, whether it's 10 minutes, half an hour, or an hour. If you go over that timescale, they'll probably not bother with you again. So always deliver within a timescale and be accessible. And as you say, if they want to speak to you at the weekend, then that's fine. And the second one, the article, and maybe we can move on and talk about uh, placed articles and the and blogs. If somebody rings you up and says, can you write an article about critical illness or can you write an article about social media, always say yes, and then go away and worry about what the hell you're going to write later. Obviously, if somebody came along and said, can you write an article about something you have absolutely no idea about, maybe you could find somebody within your organization to write it for you. But on the whole, I've never turned down the opportunity of writing an article. And of course, in those days, it was a printed article that appeared in the printed magazine. Nowadays, it could be on a website or it could be on a blog. Uh, yeah, absolutely right. I, mean, I, I, I very rarely have to decline a request to write uh, an article. And I don't like declining them because they're all good opportunities. And if you've been offered the opportunity to write something, then you have the right to, to put down on, on paper or on, or on email you know, what your take on a situation is. It's your opportunity to express your views, to pepper it with decent content, and to help create uh, your own 
credibility, your own reputation, your own brand. And these days, we we live in a 24-hour news media. We live in a digital world where increasingly the content is going online and online first, and the the paper versions of newspapers and magazines are a follow-up. And it means that a journalist or journalists are, if you like, fighting over themselves to get the story up online first, get it up there as quick as possible. So a piece of news happens and a story goes up as quickly as possible. And then the journalist has the opportunity throughout the rest of the day to build on the story, to expand it, to understand it, to develop it. In the past, when it was just printed newspapers, you know, the, the journalist I suppose, had the luxury of, of maybe a few hours in which to research the story and write it up and have it printed in the following day's paper. But once it was printed, you couldn't change it. And if something developed and added a different angle to the story or more color to it, you couldn't do it. The new story was done. These days with online digital media, the story can be adapted, can be updated. And so you know, the journalist will, having got the initial news up there, will want to develop it. And there's a great opportunity there for advisors to comment, to get involved, to help a journalist develop the story in a meaningful way. So that there's, there's, there's a great range of opportunities. One of the other things that used to um, fill me with, with great frustration was the, the constant request from journalists for case studies. And, uh, you know, your, your, your listeners will know from, you know, looking at the money pages of the national newspapers that many of the stories that are printed there include a case study, a case study of a real life customer with a particular product or a, a real life individual that's faced a certain situation. And there'll be a photo of that person and there'll, there'll be a comment from that person and there'll be a story behind it. But alongside that, there'll be a comment from the uh, advisor or the company that, that provided that case study, which means that you're able to get your, your two pennyworth in there and, and communicate your brand. Now, when I was working for life companies, um, I used to find it quite difficult to get case studies, even though the company had millions of customers on its database. And the reason being was that the insurance company had a slightly arm's length relationship with the customer. Yeah. The primary relationship was through the, the intermediary, the IFA. That's the person who they, the customer interacts with on a regular basis. And that's the person who can, if you like, persuade a customer to be a case study. So when a journalist rings up for saying, have you got anybody to illustrate my story on critical illness or on income protection or whatever it happens to be, then an IFA is in a good position uh, to uh, offer up a customer, obviously check with the customer first, whether they're willing to do it and what it entails. But if you can do that, you will get yourself an opportunity to be featured in uh, the article as well. It's much easier for an IFA to, to provide case studies than it ever was for uh, me working within a life company. And, and it's still the case that life companies do find it difficult to secure the case studies, whereas it's a much more uh, straightforward process for the for the for the advisor. And again, these days, an advisor could actually produce the case study himself. You know, it's not beyond technology these days with with iPhones and small digital cameras for an IFA to actually have the case study meeting with the client, film him saying why he took out the criticalness policy, as you mentioned, 
explain what happened in, to him, what illness he might have uh, developed and how that financial payout helped rescue that person and his family's financial existence. All of this technology we have today allows us to be the producers as well as giving the leads to other people. I think you've hit on a really important point there, Roger. The ability to produce good, meaningful and um, impressive content has gone up several notches. The quality of cameras on smartphones and tablets is such these days that you can use either photographs and indeed videos to produce good quality content to go into your uh, go onto your website, to go into your customer newsletters, to go into blogs, to go on YouTube, and to be provided to other outlets, including journalists. And it doesn't take very much to do it. And a lot of people are, uh, not necessarily in financial services, but a lot of people in other walks of life are using outlets like YouTube as a primary, their primary marketing tool. You, you hear a lot about some of these, these YouTubers. My 15-year-old son is constantly watching people who cause stuff about how to play various games like Grand Theft Auto or whatever. And it's all on YouTube. Yeah. And these guys have got millions of followers. And... You know, they're, they're earning revenue from advertising on those sites, but it's a great way of spreading content. And they are superstars in the world of social media, particularly on YouTube. They're not superstars in what you and I might call the traditional world, but they are very much uh, stars on YouTube and other broadcast channels like that. And that's a great way. You can embed a YouTube channel uh, into your website and produce you know, video content, either you explaining to your clients uh, the, the latest developments in pensions freedoms or critical illness developments and medical changes, all that sort of stuff. Or you could record, as we've just discussed, your customers talking to you about why they uh, decided to take out a particular policy through you. Uh, you know, and as you know, you know that the, the customer endorsement is worth millions of uh, of, of words. It's worth it's brilliant if you can get it. So, you know, there's so many opportunities using the technology that's at our fingertips these days. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Pete. And, and and again, one of the topics that comes up on the podcast week after week is the ability to use digital technology to promote yourself as an expert and to promote your company as a brand. As we sort of come to at the end of our discussion, just want to sort of start thinking a little bit again about that talking to journalists, talking to the media. If there's an IFA listening to the podcast today, sat in an office, not necessarily in London, which is where quite a lot of the commentators that you named seem to, to seem to live and operate from, might be in Manchester or Leeds or Birmingham, and sitting there thinking, you know, I can I can I can comment like Martin Bamford, I can comment like Alan Lakey, I can comment like Roger Edwards. How does he make that initial contact with a journalist or with a newspaper and get himself on that list of phone numbers or um, emails that a journalist will pick up the phone, send an email if a story comes up which is relevant to that particular advisor? Uh, well, firstly, Roger, I think I would say I don't think it matters where you're located these days. The technology, particularly digital technology, is such that you can uh, engage even using uh, moving images from, from wherever you happen to be. I mean, Tom McPhail works out of Bristol. Martin Bamford, you know, often quoted 
but he, you know, he rarely ever ventures out of uh, Cranley and Surrey, just you know, around the corner from where I live. You know, he re- he doesn't uh, he doesn't like coming up to London, and but yet he he produces plenty of commentary. He produces his own podcasts on behalf of Informed Choice, and he does it all from you know home or the office uh, in Cranley. Uh, you don't need to be uh, located in London or a big city around the UK. You can do it from your office. Now, in terms of making that first content, there are a number of ways you can do it. I, I might cite the example of, of Richard Verdin, who I worked with when I was at Legal and General. And you know, before Legal and General, he worked for an IFA firm called Donsons. And he took it upon himself when he uh, read a, an article in, I think it was a Mail on Sunday, and didn't quite agree with the, 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 the angle of the story. He just took it upon himself to contact the journalist and said, look, I think you could have done it this way or that way. And from that, developed an ongoing relationship with that journalist, and it spread to other journalists. And by the time he joined Legal and General and uh, you know, I became responsible for him as a spokesperson for the company, he was already a recognized commentator amongst the, the, the journalist community. And it made my job of, of building LMG's protection, credibility and awareness that much easier. Another way that uh, an IFA financial advisor might want to initiate content is via their own local newspaper. Have they considered getting themselves profiled as a local business person? You you may well find that local newspapers contain a very small page once in a while about local business. Get yourself profiled. You'll see other businesses, you know, restaurants and uh, other types of business will get profiled now again. Why shouldn't it be you? Or perhaps look at uh, some local newspapers around the country include financial service columns or financial advice columns written by um, experts in in financial uh, advisor firms why shouldn't that be you you know offer yourself up as a someone who could write uh, you know 800 or so words about the latest issues in financial services that will be of interest to the broad community and we've had a uh, you know big opportunity this year with pension freedom coming in for a lot of commentary to be written about that what it means for people what are the downsides what are the plus points uh, and, and offer broad advice don't go into the detail about products but keep it general because that's what newspapers want they want general advice to have that helps their readers make decisions so offer yourself up as a potential commentator locally but if you want to get into broad financial services within the market that you and I inhabit, well, there are a number of publications which financial advisors read week in, week out. Money marketing, professional pensions, uh, new model advisor. You know, there are, there are many of them. And they, uh, they're all written by journalists who need good content and they need good uh, commentary from people in the market. So, you know, make yourself available. The email addresses will be inside the, the publications themselves, and you'll be able to find the, um, uh, the the phone numbers fairly easily. Just get in touch. Say, look, I read your article. I thought it was really interesting. Um, I wouldn't mind having a chat with you about some other aspects of that and, and take it from there. You could, of course, look at the website if you read an article and you want to make a comment on it. Uh, most articles, uh, certainly from the, the trade publications, offer a comment facility at the bottom of the article. Well, why not post a comment, obviously identify yourself, post a comment, but make it really meaningful, interesting, challenging, perhaps a little bit provocative, but 
that way you might make yourself known to the journalists. They will think, do you know, that's a really interesting comment. I wonder if that guy or gal has got some other interesting comments that I might be able to use in the future. You're getting yourself on their radar. You could call up the, the features editor at the uh, at Money Marketing or wherever and say, look, I wouldn't mind writing a feature on this and that. If there's a particular issue that's that's gripping you and you think you've got a, a valid point of view, why not offer to write about it? And then, of course, there's the, the national media. Now, if you get other bits right, then you will naturally probably uh, get recognized by people on the national media as a potential commentator. But you could simply get in touch with uh, the journalists who write on the money pages. It's not hard to get in touch with them and, and offer a, a comment, offer your services. Say, look, I'm going to be in London. I'm afraid that most of these journalists do actually work out of London. Say, you know, next time you're in London, let's grab a coffee, have a chat about you know what's going on in financial services because I've got some pretty uh, interesting views on what's happening. And, you know, get yourself on their radar, get into their little black book, so to speak. Uh, so there's plenty of ways to do it. It's, I think the reason that, that many financial advisors don't do it is because they think it takes up a lot of time. It doesn't really. You are simply sharing your knowledge just as you would having a chat around the water dispenser in the office with your colleagues. You want to have meaningful conversations with your colleagues, have a meaningful conversation with a journalist. The other thing that, that I think prevents some people from getting involved is they think journalists are only out to trip people up and get a sensational type of story. Journalists don't have two heads. They just have a job to do like you and me. And the best copy is is copy that engages their readers, sends the reader away with, with new information, uh, perhaps a different perspective, and is positive and interesting. I think the Leveson inquiry has, has probably uh, tarnished the reputation of rather more journalists than, than it really should have done. You know, not everybody <clears throat> has been phone hacking or doing anything like that. Most journalists, particularly in the field that, that you and I inhabit, need to produce good, meaningful, interesting, usable copy. They're not looking to sensationalize or trick people up or you know, listening to people's private phone calls, they just want decent articles that their readers will appreciate. And that's uh, where uh, decent commentary from third parties like financial advisors and others adds weight to an article. Pete, so much food for thought here. We've had a great chat this morning. I would think that uh, a lot of people will be interested in thinking about the LinkedIn publishing um, platform. A lot of people might be now sitting there thinking, you know, I could do this. I could talk to journalists. I could get involved. And it really is quite easy, as you've said. Pick up the phone, send an email, tweet them, contact them on LinkedIn, have a point of view and be prepared to put that over. Be accessible. And of course, if they want you to write an article, never say no to an article. Pete, thanks very much for coming on the podcast this morning. Before we go, are you happy to stay for a few more moments for the quick fire round of business questions? Absolutely. It's been a delight as well. Thanks, Roger. Not a problem. First question then, what's the one thing you'd change about the financial services industry if someone gave you a magic wand to wave? I, I think I would change the focus much more onto the customer. I think financial services, as much as any industry, has become very focused on shareholder returns now, and the focus has come very much in favor of how much cash can be generated for uh, the shareholder, but that's come at the expense of uh, really delivering top-notch customer service and products and advice and customer care 
that really stands up to, to the test. What's the one business model or product or marketing campaign that's caught your attention in the last year? Tell us what it was and what you liked about it. I'll give you rather an obtuse answer to that, if I may, Roger. Of course. Of course. Um, I think what Steve Webb did, the, the former pensions minister, when he announced you know, his pension freedoms and to create the impression that uh, people with pension plans could cash them in and buy the Lamborghini. Uh, I know he came in for a little bit of stick for, for making that comment, but actually it enabled an awful lot of commentary around that. And indeed, I, I blogged about it myself because it provided a clever focus that that was actually a reality, that people could cash in their entire pensions and blow the lot on a whim on something that, that might be a pipe dream but would leave them penniless for anything else. And it helped generate commentary about actually why it might not be the best idea in the world to, to cash in your entire pension fund, something which I, I, I happen to agree with. I think uh, it would be daft. I mean, I'm coming up to my 55th birthday uh, in a couple of uh, months' time, and I will have the opportunity to cash in all my pensions. I'm damned if I'm going to do it. And I think what Steve Webb did there, even if it might have been off the cuff, actually was a very clever, had a very clever result. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your working life. I've been taken recently with Periscope, which is an app that's uh, now owned by Twitter, and it allows uh, users to broadcast themselves. But it's, uh, I, I, thoroughly enjoying it because you know I walk from London's Waterloo station uh, in the morning to my office in the city and on nice sunny days uh, as I'm walking across the Thames I will use Periscope to broadcast what's going on around me with a bit of commentary from me showing pictures to anybody who happens to want to tune in um, it's simple it's easy but I think it's got some potential for business use particularly if you can line up your uh, your audience to the fact that you're going to have a Periscope broadcast fairly shortly. It's a free app, uh, and I would encourage people to have a look at it, download it, see what they make of it. And the final question, Pete, what's the best business book you've ever read? Tell us why you like it so much and what you took from it. <laughs> Good question, Roger. I would probably actually go right back to uh, the 1980s, and it was a marketing textbook, it wasn't probably doesn't count quite as a business book as such, but it was the marketing theory book that I read when I was taking my professional qualifications in marketing. I thought marketing was something that was fairly easy to do, but when I got into it, I started to learn about the theory, and it's really quite a clever science, and communications and public relations and media relations is quite an art, and it taught me an awful lot and it stood stood me in good stead for all these years and i've learned an awful lot by doing the job but actually there's a lot of the theory that still stands the test of time and uh you know, I, 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 I applaud that. Thanks very much for that, Pete. Now, before we sign off, uh, just to remind everybody that I will put your contact details up on the show notes page for this episode of the podcast, and you can find that at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. But before we go, Pete, just tell everyone what is the best way they can connect with you? Is it Twitter, LinkedIn, or a website? Uh, well, certainly Twitter, they can follow me and contact me. It's at Pete Timbers. Uh, on LinkedIn, you can find me. Uh, I'm very happy to connect with, with you and to uh, 
discuss issues on LinkedIn. But actually, if they want to make direct contact, uh, then my mobile phone is always at my side. And I'll happily give you the number, which is 07718086898. And my email address, um, you know, I'm at the Financial Reporting Council. It's p.timberlake at frc.org.uk. Great stuff. And of course, I'll also include a link to the 40-minute blog as well, because I really think that that's well worth checking out. So thanks, Pete, for coming and talking to me today. Let me wish you every success for the future and let's catch up again soon. I'd love to. And thank you very much for inviting me on, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. If you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay?